Hey, good morning, White Oak. My name is Chris Emmons. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I'm normally out the Ross campus uh, serving out there, but I'm so glad when you guys invite me out here to kind of share with you and spend some time with you. So I'm so excited to be here. You know, that last song we sang, it, it pumps me up. You know, I believe in all of those things as well. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe we should invite him into our time here. So if you will, let's pray together and invite him in. Holy Spirit, we come to you and we just ask you, Lord, to, to send your spirit down into this room. We ask you to, be, to fill this place, to bring the message through me that you want to be heard, Lord, and you open up the ears and hearts of the people who need to hear the message, Lord. We just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're new here and it's your first time, you've come at a great time. We're in our second week of our series, My Big Fat Mouth, as you saw in the video. Uh, we all have a big fat mouth in one way or the other. I can tell you that in my life, my mouth has gotten me in trouble plenty of times. Uh, there was a time in my life where I felt like I knew everything, and so as a result, I was going to say what I wanted to say when I wanted to say it, no matter what anybody else thought. Um, I've grown up a little bit since then. I still know everything, I just don't say it. Actually, I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, my wife isn't here with me this morning. She normally keeps me in check with those kind of things, so I apologize. See, I've gotten myself in trouble again with my mouth, so sorry. I think we've all done that sometimes, though, where we've had those moments where you, where you say something and... You wish you hadn't said something, you know, where you say like, man, this tastes terrible. And then the person next to you says, I made that. Well, when I said terrible, I meant that in the best possible way. I mean, it stands out among the terribles. Like, so, I mean, again, you, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Of Like, you say things and there's that real awkward moment where you know you said something you shouldn't have said. They know you said it. You think maybe nobody noticed. Everybody noticed, just so you know. Uh, and you're backtracking. You're trying to get back out of this really bad thing you said. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't ever make mistakes like that. Um, maybe you're that person, though, that everyone would label as the complainer. You know, those people. The people who... No matter what is going on, they always seem to find the negative in situations, and they always seem to be complaining about it. There's a name for that. They're called Debbie Downers. If you're that person, you're a Debbie Downer, okay? Uh, or maybe you're the person who's just always saying things like, well, if only I had the better house or the better job or more stuff or less stuff or more work or less work or whatever you want to say, more friends, if only I had. Maybe you're that person who's saying things like that all the time. You're going to fit into one of these categories. No matter who you are, you fit somewhere in there. And that's where our mouths get us into trouble, okay? Now, we're going to jump right into the Bible uh, and, and look at how the Bible kind of addresses this idea of our mouth getting us into trouble. Now, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pull it out and follow along with me. You have a Bible app on your phone, maybe use that. I use one of those daily. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have them back at the Hub. Um, we'd love for you to take a Bible. You know, that's, we'd love for you to be in that, reading that, kind of learning what God says and what God wants us to know about life. So pick a Bible up if you don't have one. But where we're going to be today is we're going to look at the book of James. And, and James was Jesus' brother, if you don't know that about him. Uh, and the book of James is in the New Testament, in the back part of the Bible, towards the end. So we're going to be in James, and we're going to be in chapter 3. 
I want to start in verse 2 of chapter 3. And here's what James writes. He writes, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You see, James, he's writing to the church at the time because he knows there's a lot of things that people are going to deal with. And he's trying to give them some guidance and lead them a little bit and where they're going to deal with this. And this is, he's talking at this point about the mouths of people, the tongue, how it gets them in trouble. And, and, and he says, you know, he reads right there at the beginning, he says, if you can control what you say, you're going to be perfect. Now, he goes on to explain what he means. He gives us some great imagery that we can try to relate to, like when he talks about the horses. If you've ever ridden a horse, you may know that like these bits they put in their mouths, they connect to the reins. That's how you control the direction of a horse. Such a small thing, but this small little thing can help us to guide such a huge beast that's so powerful, right? And he then goes on to explain that, that how a rudder of a ship, a ship is such a large vessel, but there's this little rudder, that directs the direction. I mean, it's just such a small part. And he he then likens this, and he explains that this is just much like our tongue. Now, I'm going to give you a few facts about the tongue. I'm a facts kind of guy. I like to kind of think of things, you know, factually and in in a way, logically. So I'll look at the tongue, and here's what we know about the tongue. The average tongue is about three inches long. Some tongues are a little longer. My five-year-old can touch the tip of his nose with his tongue, um, I don't know that he should be touching the tip of his nose with his tongue. He does it a lot. Um, he will stop, I think, eventually. If I tell him enough, he will. I, I don't know. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just be that weird guy that touches his tongue, nose all the time. Um, the tongue also has around 3,000 taste buds in it. It's a lot of taste buds. Um, now, the funny thing about taste buds is we look at them as like, oh, this is how we enjoy food, right? But the real design of a taste bud is, is, is interesting. The taste bud was really put in our body to help us to taste food, to tell if a food had gone sour or if it was bitter tasting. It could mean that it was poisonous. So really, the taste bud is less of an, was designed as less of an enjoyment type of feature, but more of a protection. It's a protection for your body. Now, the tongue is a unique thing similar, like we all have unique fingerprints, right? They say the same thing is true for the tongue. The tongue has a unique print. Every single tongue looks different. Um, And now, it's not necessarily true that the tongue is the strongest muscle of the body. You may have heard that. It's not necessarily true because the tongue isn't one muscle. It's made up of eight different muscles. But where the tongue is unique from the rest of your body is... It doesn't rely on your skeletal system. It can, it can work independently of any type of skeletal system. So the tongue stands out in that way. Now, I bet when you came in here, you were not thinking, I'm going to learn so much about your tongues. Well, guys, that's, I'm done. Have a great day. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're going to go on. That, but, it, but at least if you take nothing from today, you learned about the tongue, right? Appreciate your tongues. That doesn't sound right. Um, so let me say to you, we have interesting tongues. They are very interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting part of our body. And that's probably why 
James was saying, like, if you can control your tongue, you're pretty awesome. But he meant it in a way that, like, what we say and come out of our mouths can oftentimes get us into trouble. And here's, he goes on to continue that thought. And so we're going to kick it back up here at the second half um, of verse 5. And it says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Now see, James knew it way back then. Even back then, he knew that how we talk was oftentimes causing trouble and causing us to struggle and stumble in life. You remember that saying you would hear from adults or your parents when you were a kid? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? Now let me tell you something. When I... When we were kids and we first heard that phrase, the things we were thinking was, you don't know what you're talking about. Because kids know everything, by the way. Um, But we thought that. We thought, well, you don't know. I mean, you don't know my situation. You don't know. Like, they need to deal with it, right? I can say what I want to say. It doesn't matter what they think. And as we've grown up, most of us, not all of us, mind you, there are still some people who need to hear that phrase daily. Um, Most of us have realized that's true. That what we say can be hurtful and can cause people to stumble. But the interesting thing is, is that sometimes we think that as long as we don't say it to the person, I mean, I would take it a step further. I challenge you to take it a step further in thinking, just because you don't say it doesn't mean that it's okay to think it or to say it in your private places about them. This is what this series, your big, My Big Fat Mouth, is all about. It's all about what we say and how we think even, and how those things and the ideas that are coming out of our minds and out of our mouths, they're getting us into trouble and causing us to stumble. And today, we're going to talk about a word that we need to eliminate from our vocabulary, that we need to get out of our heads in some way, and that word is compare. Now, You may be thinking, uh, compare really isn't that bad of a word. I mean, I'll tell you, when I was in high school, they gave us assignments where we would take two stories and read them, and then we would compare and contrast them to find the differences between the two stories, right? So, and that was to teach you how to to analyze and find the differences in, in things, right? And when we buy, like, a new car or a new house, you shouldn't just go out and buy the first house and car you see. I mean, you can. You're probably not going to get the best option in most cases. So you compare them to each other, and you say, well, this is what is better for us here or there. So comparing is not bad in that way. You know, 
And we, we compare a lot of different things. Now, I'm going to give you an example of a comparison. I'm gonna, we're going to do a little activity today to do some comparing. This is going to go well. I'm sure you guys will appreciate it. I was able... Now, Nathan's away for a little bit back at Ross, okay? And Rick's over at Ross today, so they don't know that I'm doing this. Um, but I was able to get my hands on a couple of their pictures. And I want to compare them to each other today. So let's take a look first at Nathan. I don't know if you all have seen Nathan after he works out at the gym. That's pretty much what he looks like. Um, it's, I mean, seriously, that, that is so good. But here's the interesting thing. You may not also know what Rick looks like when he works out at the gym. I mean, seriously, Rick looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 90s, okay? Or like, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger was born looking like this. I don't know. But like, I'm up here looking like Paul Blart Mall Cop, and they're over there like, what's that? Now, just, just so you know, I, I want to make sure it's clear, because I don't want Rick coming back and saying this. That's not really Rick. I put his head on that body. Um, if you guys don't know how the internet works, come and see me afterwards. Um, I wanted to make it real clear. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I think he's actually bigger than that in muscles. But, you know, what, what can we say? So there they are. But in all seriousness, that, that's funny. We do that. But we do that, though. We compare people physically. We, we do that. We think, well, well, how do I compare to these people, right? And, and that's, you know, that's, that's just where our mouths and our thoughts can actually get us into trouble. Is when we start comparing ourselves to other people... And we stop focusing on who we are instead of who we're not. Now, I've got, uh, I can tell you I've got a five-year-old son. I mentioned him earlier, Sam. And I get to hear about comparisons a lot at my house. The words, it's not fair, happen a lot in my house. Does anybody else have an it's not fair kid? Yeah, I pretty much, the answer I've got for it's not fair is, yeah, you're right. And then I go on doing whatever else I was doing. It's not fair. You're right. He says things like, well, it's not fair. He's got a younger brother, which just adds to the problem. It's not fair that he gets to play with that toy and I don't. Yeah, you're right. It's not fair. It's not fair that I got to eat this vegetable and he doesn't have to. Okay, that's true. And he's picked up on comparisons in other areas of his life, too. I mean, he compares himself to these characters he sees on TV, and he tries to be like them. I don't have the heart to tell him he can't physically be a transformer. You can't do it, bud. That doesn't work that way. You can't transform into a fire truck. That would be cool if you could, but not possible. He, he loves to compare, though. And we, he started to do this with his friends, too. We, we're picking up on that already in his life, that he's already comparing himself to his friends. He's got this thing at daycare where they have a show-and-share day, right, where they can bring a toy in, and they can share it with their friends and play with it. And so it's every week on Wednesday. It's the same day every time. And so recently, it was show-and-share day. And I said, hey, buddy, you want to pick a toy out to take with you? And he said, I don't think it's show-and-share day, Dad. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's Wednesday. I promise you, it's the same every time. He said, no, I don't think so. Because I, apparently I lie to him a lot about show and share day. There's a lot of trust here in my house. Um, but he was adamant that he wasn't going to take a toy because he didn't want to be the only kid who had a toy at school. 
I'm thinking, what is the problem here? Like, I would kill to be the only person with a toy, right? But he was thinking in the concept of, I don't want to stand out from everybody else. I don't want people to look at me and think, ooh, why has he got a toy? He was already doing that. He was already realizing that, that construct of comparison, And we as adults and and teenagers, we do this too. I mean, we look at other people's lives. Like we look at other families. We look at other marriages, jobs, houses, cars. We compare our lives to other people's lives. And when we rely on things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, we really start to do this. We start to look at the lives that people have put out on display for us, right? And what we don't realize, and maybe we do realize, but we don't think about it, is those people are not putting their whole lives on display. A lot of those people are out there just putting out the best of their life. They want you to see the best that they've got because they're doing the same thing. They want to be held to a better standard. They want to be compared. They want to be someone that people look to as a comparison. So they put out only the best so that you see that. Now, I get this I really do. And, you know, I've done it myself. I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. You know, I have looked at other parents, at coworkers, just men in general, and thought, like, maybe I could be like that. I know I joked around a little bit about Nathan and Rick about physical attributes. Maybe I could be more physically fit. No one can be as physically fit as Nathan, by the way, just FYI. Just kidding. You could be. But... We do that. We do that. We compare people. We compare ourselves physically. I've compared myself to other dads and said, maybe I could be a good dad. That guy's really got it together. Like he's got, you know, all these kids and and he's handling it and he's not balding in a spot. Like he's doing well, right? Or maybe maybe that guy's a better husband than me. He, He takes flowers to his wife all the time. I mow the grass every now and then. Like I could be a better husband, you know? Or maybe, maybe I could tell better stories or maybe I'm not as funny as that guy or maybe I don't captivate people as much as this guy. Any number of things. I do that. And that's where we get into trouble, like I said, when we stop appreciating who we are and we start focusing on what, who we're not. Now, teenagers, if you're in the room here, I'm going to tell you this really applies to you, and and I'm talking directly to you now. You've got it hard because you're in this stage of your life where you're trying to determine who you are, and you've got all of these people around you who are your line to figure out how you fit into how they look and how they act and what they say, right? You know, you look at kids in your class and you try to fit in. When I was growing up, that's what it was about, too. I mean, when I was in high school, it was about popularity and fitting in. If, if you stood out in some way, you were an outcast. And then that was 20, over 20 years ago, guys. I graduated in 1997. We didn't have this bombardment of media that's just coming at us and telling us how we're supposed to be. You know, I, put, I respect teenagers now because teenagers are, are defining who they are while they're being constantly thrown at social media, I mean, social media is just throwing at them constant messages of who they should be. So guys, you guys have got it hard. You really do because you're trying to compare yourselves to everybody else and you don't even know who you are yet. But 
the good news is that there's answers to these struggles, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to talk about what, what God intends for us, okay? Now, we're going to start off with today's big idea, and the big idea is that when we compare ourselves to others, we miss out on God's best. We miss out on God's best. Now, I'm going to stand up here and tell you, and you may not know, that we're not all the same. We're not. And you may not believe in God. You may not have a reliance upon God and and believe that he created us, but you can still appreciate that no two people are created the same. Even identical twins have differences. No two people are the same, and God didn't intend for it to be that way. He formed us with intention, and, and, we, talk, and we, we read about that in the Bible. Here's what, here's what David wrote when he wrote this in Psalm 139 and verse 14. He wrote, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I can't knit. I'm not a knitter. Is anybody in here a knitter? Anybody know how to knit? Oh, I saw one. Yes, knitter. That is an amazing talent, let me tell you something, to be able to knit. Now, my mom could knit. She knitted these beautiful blankets that she would make, and she knitted one. My, my, uh, my niece has one. My oldest niece has a blanket that she made for her. I mean, knitting, if you're a knitter, you know that it takes time and planning and patience. It really takes a lot of love to be able to, to knit something. Now, you can't really just start knitting and hope something comes together. You probably could. It would look weird, probably. It wouldn't be great. But that's what knitting is about. It takes a lot of design. And that's why David uses this as an example, because he knew the intricacies of knitting. He understood that when God made us in our mother's womb and he knitted us together, he did that with patience He had a design and a plan for it, and he loved the creation he made. That's why I use the phrase fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why he's talking about us. See, God created us in his image. He did. We know that. But he didn't create us all the same. The fact that no two people are the same points that it proves that. I mean, if God wanted us all to be the same, he would have made us the same. He would have all looked alike. We would have all talked alike. We would have all acted the same. That would have been God's plan. But that's not what happened. And yet we still find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people and saying, well, why am I not more like them? Well, where I think we do this is because we're unhappy with some part of our lives. And we think that by finding the happiness that someone else apparently seems to have, we'll fill this void that we have in our lives. And maybe it's you go, you've, you've got friends that you know, are constantly having parties or get-togethers, and you're maybe not invited to those things, and you think, why can't I be like that? Or maybe you have a coworker who got a promotion over you or, or seems to have a better job than you do. You know, maybe your guys, you think a guy is more handsome than you or, or better looking than you. Or women, you, you look at women and say, man, she's prettier than me. Why can't I look like her? 
Or maybe you've got a family member who just always seems to get all the breaks, right? Who always seems to get all the things and they have the best stuff and you wish you could have that and you'd be happy like they are. And that's what happens is we start looking at that and thinking about those things and we then start to make decisions not based upon who God made us to be but based upon how we can get those things and get more like the world and what the world says is good. But when we miss out and we compare ourselves on other people, to other people, that's where we let negative attitudes get into our lives. This is the root of things like jealousy and greed and lying and cheating and adultery and anger, depression, shame. You know, these aren't good words, are they? No, they're not. And when Jesus gave us, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't give us the Ten Commandments. Y'all just said that, but that's not what happened. Um, Well, he did. Three in one type of thing. Um, God gave us the Ten Commandments, and he wrote in Exodus, we see the Ten Commandments, and, and here's the commandment he wrote. He wrote, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You see, coveting or really desiring after other people's things and other people's lives, where does that come from? It comes from a comparison of our own lives, right? And it's important to remember why God gave us that commandment last That was the last commandment. He said, don't do all these things because it really, it covers every commandment he gave before that. He said at the beginning, love God, right? That's what it's all about. Well, how can you love God if you're too busy over here trying to get everything else that everybody else has? And how can you love everybody else, which are all the other commandments, if you're too busy trying to get their lives and get ahead of them? That's why he put this last. He wanted us to remember this. This commandment was about inner turmoil, turmoil that he knew we were going to have even before we knew it. And it leads to so many of those other sins and and struggles that I talked about because we failed to see what God sees, a human being who was fearfully and wonderfully made. But that's not the only way that comparisons get us into trouble. You know, there's other times where we look at people and instead of saying, I want to be more like them, we say, I want to, I'm better than that person, right? I'm better than them. And we could get caught saying things like, I'm so glad I don't act like them. Or at least I'm not as bad as. Or see, it could be worse. Now, I do that one a lot. I'm going I'm, I'm to be truthful with you. I do that one a lot when I'm struggling with things or something's going wrong in my life. I often try, try to find someone who's got a worse situation than me, and then I try to say, well, see, it could be worse. I could be dealing with that. And it makes me feel better a little bit by comparison, or it makes me realize that like I'm focused on the wrong thing a little bit. We do that. But that's not helping us to connect. That's not helping us to, to feel connection to other people. See, when we compare ourselves to others, we miss out on connecting with people in our lives. You, you look at other people and you compare yourselves and that causes you to become judgmental. 
You become cold. You become unkind. I mean, this is the root of racism, of sexism, of bigotry. These things stem from you looking around and saying, I'm better than those people. And you may not even realize you're doing it. You may have been just raised to be that way. But it's, that's what it is. Now, we do this when we talk about being better than other people. You all remember that game, Life, the game of life? It's still around. I never had it as a kid. We, my cousin had it, and we would play it every time we went to his house because we didn't have it. We wanted to play it. Now, the game of life teaches you, the whole point of the game is to get to the end of the board of life with the family with the right number of kids and the car and the job and the best house. It's all about amassing this imaginary awesome life and then getting to the end of the board. So that was what it taught us as kids. And now when we're actually living life, we're doing life, we start to think that same thing. We start thinking about how can I get the best family? How can I get the best stuff? How can I get ahead and win the game? But how do we do that? How do you win? Is by being better than other people. So we start thinking about how we're better than other people and we let jealousy and pride seep into our lives and then that way we, we focus on the wrong things like work or, or stuff and amassing things and we forget to connect with people like our family and our friends Because we're just too busy trying to be a better man or a better woman. But the same is, is true in our spiritual life. You know, we look at other people and we think a lot of times, I'm better than them because I haven't done the things they've done. I haven't messed up in the way they've messed up. I'm a better person. I'm a good person, right? We use that phrase. And we struggle, these other people might struggle with addiction or some downfall or sin, and then we go... We categorize it and say, well, that's worse than what I'm doing, right? You might say things like, oh, well, you know, I don't, yeah, I talk about my friends behind their backs, but at least I don't lie to them. I don't tell them lies or lie about them. Or you might say, hey, yeah, every now and then I look at porn, but at least I'm not cheating on my wife like that guy. Or you would say, Well, every now, you know, every now and then I might bend the rules a little bit at work because I'm trying to get ahead. But at least I'm not stealing from the company like him. Now, if if you're dealing with some sin or some struggle that you have in your life and you hear the phrase, but at least I'm not, come out of your mouth, you're doing what I'm talking about. When we compare our sins to other people, we actually miss the chance to appreciate God's grace. See, when we compare our sins, we're doing this to make ourselves feel better about our struggles, right? But, but that's what not, not what was intended. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this. He wrote the letter to the Galatian church, and he actually talked about the idea of, of, what, of, of carrying our loads. Here's what, here's what he said. He said, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." 
Now, the last line here in this passage is what we're talking about. Paul wrote, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, sometimes bearing your own load really means you're going to be held accountable for your sins, for your struggles. No one else is going to be held accountable for that. But when we compare other people, when we say, well, well, I'm not as bad as this person, what we're doing is we're trying to lighten our load. It's just like when I say, well, it could be worse. I'm trying to lighten the load. I'm trying to make myself feel better. We take it upon ourselves to downplay sin, to say, well, that sin's not as bad. We categorize it because we think that'll magically give us a loophole out of the guilt, right? That's not what God intended for us. No, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins so that we could have grace and have it fully. So that we could have grace and have it fully. That was his whole purpose, and that we wouldn't have to be held accountable for our sins. So Jesus gave us this gift freely without needing to explain ourselves or come up with some reason why we shouldn't be held accountable. But when we try to do that, we start comparing ourselves to other people, we take that away. We say, well, I I, I don't necessarily trust that Jesus really did that because I need to make myself feel better. I think we've all done it a little bit. And we've ranked ourselves above other people based upon uh, uh, this sinful life that we're not as bad a sinner as they are. All sin's the same. Now, if you're serving communion, I want to go ahead and dismiss you this time to go ahead and get prepped for that. But as we continue on, I want to share with you this. There is one way where comparing actually can make our lives better. And that's when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we can live life to the fullest. Now, Jesus died and gave his grace. I just talked about that. You know, that, that was his, what he did. He came for that. But he also lived a way that we should be an example. That he was an example for us. And he lived in a way with his life that we should be trying to imitate And if we do that, we're going to have the best possible life that God planned for us. And I'm not talking about trying to be sin-free here, people. I'm talking, because we can't do that. You know, the Bible says all have sinned, right? Except for God. I'm sorry, except for Jesus. Jesus is the one that didn't, he didn't sin. But we can't live that way, and he knew that. That's why he came and sacrificed his life, so that we wouldn't have to try to focus on being sin-free, that his grace would cover that. Instead, Jesus taught us how to live our lives focusing on the relationships that matter, and there's two of them. The first one is the relationship we have with God, his Father, right? That's that vertical relationship that we share with God and us. That's what Jesus said when he said the first greatest commandment is love God, right? That's that relationship. And the second relationship he wants us to focus on is the relationship we have with everybody else, our neighbors. That's the horizontal relationships that we deal with. He wanted us to love our neighbor, to love each other. That's what it was all about. And Jesus gave this example. Now, Jesus dealt with people asking him about comparisons even in his time. His own disciples actually said to him, 
Which one of us is the best? Tell us, Jesus, which one is the best? And I'm sure Jesus was rolling his eyes like I do when my son says it's not fair and thinking, guys, come on. Are you listening to me? It doesn't matter who's the best. And Jesus dealt with this concept throughout his ministry where he was saying, but people would say like, how can I be the best? How can I get the best stuff? Isn't it about that, Jesus? And Jesus, he gives an answer to people in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, right there at the end, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's trying to tell us how to live our lives in a way that we aren't comparing. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look to God, not at other people. And then what does he say? He says, and all these things will be added to you. All these things you've asked me about will be given to you. Jesus was trying to tell us, don't worry about what other people have. I mean, for that matter, he's saying, don't worry about what you even have. That's not what I care about. Focus on God. Focus on the fearfully and wonderfully made person that God made you to be. And you, you'll be less worried about what other people have and how that can make you happy and more focused on what God can give to you and on the plan that he had for you when he designed you. You see, God loves you no matter what you do. It doesn't matter. Jesus proved that on the cross. He died so that we wouldn't have to be held accountable for our sin. He loves you just how you are. And he's not looking at you and thinking, well, if you'd only be more like that guy or that lady, then I'd love you more. Ah, He didn't say that. He says, I love you just how you are. You see, God made us fearfully and wonderfully. I want you to remember that today when you go out. I want you to remember that this week when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're spending time with the people you care about and you're looking around at people in the world. Remember, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. When God designed you, he didn't hold you up to some cut out and say, well, I want them to be like this. Hopefully they fit. No, he did it. He had a design for you. And he did it with 
a plan and with love. He wanted you to be who you are. And I'm telling you today, he wants you to look at yourself. He wants us all to look at ourselves and remember that no matter what anybody else does and no matter what anybody else has or how happy they seem to be, that nothing can separate you from his love. And he wants you to appreciate that and and focus on how you can grow closer to him. I just, let's take a moment to pray and just remember this. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning, we thank you for making us who we are. The unique, amazing, fearfully and wonderfully made person that we are, Lord. We sometimes miss that. We sometimes miss that you you made us how we are. And we're sorry for that. We're sorry that we missed out on that that creation. We ask you to help us to remember that as we go out. Help us to remember that you had an intention for our lives and help us to focus on how we can be more like your son. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come and hear your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.